Well, happy Mother's Day. I hope today is a blessed day for you and your family. And also, a happy birthday to my wife, Jamie. I can't believe it, honey. You're only 29. It's amazing. You look fantastic. Well, if you're going through the Bible in a year with us, with me, um, just throw a comment in there. If you're on Facebook Live, put a comment in. If you're in YouTube, comment, reply to that. And I just like to know who's still with us. Um, it's been an adventure, a journey so far, going through the Bible in a year. And I purposely chose the book of Ruth for today, for Mother's Day. I think the book of Ruth is the perfect story. It's only four chapters, but it is an amazing story. Um, it is a... Um, a story that uh, foreshadows what, perhaps the greatest story of all time. It's, it's, it's fascinating. As we dive into Ruth, you're going to see this. Now, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges, which we covered back in March. And if you remember in the book of Judges, when I preached on that, the people of God often went on a roller coaster of a ride of highs and lows. Because they went through this thing that uh, I call the sin cycle. They would sin, disobey God, turn from Him and His ways and the law. And then they would suffer the consequences. When they prayed to God, turned back to Him in supplication, they found salvation. So there was this sin cycle happening in, um, in, in the, the promised land. Sin, suffering, supplication, and then salvation. And uh, it is believed that Ruth took place, the book of Ruth, took place right around Judges 10, the scholars say. And probably in the midst of this suffering, if you will, Ruth um, and, uh, is, uh, and Naomi and Boaz are the three main characters in this story. We see them uh, leaving the promised land because there was a famine and that probably took place because of their suffering, because of their sin. So what makes this story so wonderful on Mother's Day? Well, I got to tell you, there's three things that make it so wonderful. Number one, it opens up uh, with Naomi, a mother, and it ends with Ruth, who's a brand new mother. Secondly, it demonstrates what I think is the unbreakable bond between a mother and a child. You know, the moment that a woman finds out she's pregnant, that bond just begins and never ends. I mean, all throughout the life of a child, a mother and a child just have this unbreakable bond. Even death cannot separate this love between a mother and a child. And what's interesting in the book of Ruth is that Ruth is actually Naomi's um, daughter-in-law. Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. Now, I don't know how you feel about your mother-in-law, but Ruth had a, a love for her mother-in-law. A bond was there. I know it's said that, that uh, in-laws are more like outlaws, but not in this case. There was a great bond between Ruth and Naomi. She cherished, they cherished their relationship. The third reason why this is so appropriate for Mother's Day is that I believe this story satisfies the greatest desire a mother has for her children. 
I've noticed this over the years, that moms want really one main thing for their children, and that is for them to be happy, for them to have joy in life. And I want to tell you that Ruth is responsible for bringing joy into every person's life. And you wonder, how is that possible? I mean, you can ask me. Go ahead, ask me. I'll wait. Okay, I heard you. How is that possible that Ruth can bring joy into all of our lives, especially our children? And the answer to that is because Ruth is responsible for bringing Jesus into this world. That's right. It's an amazing story, I told you. I believe this is why Ruth is in the Bible. If you think about it for just a moment, Ruth was a Gentile woman. In fact, it's the only book in the Bible named after a Gentile woman, a non-Jewish woman. I mean, Ruth is as non... I mean, mean, she's as irrelevant, if you will, as Rahab the prostitute. Yet, she is responsible for bringing Jesus into this world, as we will see in just a little bit. Are you ready to dive into Ruth? I know I am. Let's pray. God, help us today see these truths. Father in heaven, I pray for the mothers today that are feeling perhaps overjoyed with the love of their children, but some that are feeling a little sad because maybe they're missing their mother or their children. Father, I pray that you would bring comfort and joy upon all mothers today, but also that you would bring joy into the children's hearts as they seek you, as they find redemption in you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, this story of Ruth begins uh, with a famine in the land, and it ends with a family. It actually begins with a funeral and ends with a wedding. It's a happy ending. I'll tell you, it begins with Naomi. Naomi and her husband, his name is Elimelech. Yeah, say that three times real fast. Elimelech. They lived in Bethlehem. That's right, they lived in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem, it uh, actually means the house of bread. It means, uh, it's kind of like the breadbasket, if you will, of Judah. Named so because it was very fertile land. You could grow things there very well. And Naomi and Elimelech were very well off. They had a nice piece of property that they grew crops in. Um, They had a a nice uh, ranch home with a two-camel garage. Um, They they had uh, two handsome sons. Uh, Their names were Malon and Chilion. They were living the Judah dream, kind of like many of us are living the American dream, even though we don't quite realize it sometimes, how well off we are. But the, um, the meaning of their names, I want to just go over that a little bit and talk to you about it because it's interesting, the meaning of their names. In fact, um, Elimelech, 
Um, if you break it up into uh, E-L-I, it means my God. Um, and then the rest of it is um, my king. So it means my God is king. That's what Elimelech means. And Naomi, her name means pleasantness. So my God is king marries pleasantness. Delightful names, which is really interesting because what they name their kids. Now, if you read the Bible and make a steady diet of it, and um, you've maybe even done a little bit of um, um, looking up uh, names and what they mean and how people name their kids, you would uh, know that in the Bible, oftentimes uh, names are prophetic. Uh, oftentimes names uh, come about in experience. Uh, a lot of times it, it, it's um, um, what they notice at birth. And so when <laughs> Naomi and Elimelech have their first child, his name is Malon. And when he came into the world, he must not have looked so good because they named him Sick. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, you name your child Sicko. <laughs> Imagine growing up uh, and your name is Sicko. Uh, hey, Sicko, come to the dinner table. It's time for dinner. You still look sick. Uh, eat your vegetables. Um, not such a great name. Then there's Chilion. Now his name means pining away or, or really crybaby. Yeah, crybaby. Can you imagine that? Hey, crybaby. Say that one more time. Do that one more time. I'll give you something to cry about. Malon and Chilion. Sicko and crybaby. Doesn't quite go with my God is king and pleasantness, but perhaps it was, again, prophetic because of what will happen next. Now, they had a nice family, but disaster happened one after another, it seems. First of all, it was the famine. And the famine, um, in their minds, caused them to go somewhere else. So they traveled around the Dead Sea from Judah over to Moab. And they uh, found a, resident in, a residence in Moab, this family. And uh, as it, uh, their, 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 their boys grew up, they decided to um, marry uh, Moab women. And if you know anything about um, God's uh, really law and his, his choice with his people, is that you're not supposed to um, be un, uh, unyoked, uh, yoked with an unbeliever. Um, it's, word, you know, it's advice for us today that um, it's not a good, wise thing to marry an unbeliever if you're a believer. There's trouble that comes. And so these boys married Moab women, which is um, a concern, right? Because what happens next, unfortunately, is that um, Elimelech passes away. Then Malon passes away. Then Chilion passes away. All the men in Naomi's life pass away. And she's left with her two daughters-in-law because the two boys married Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. So it's just Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, and this mother is broken. Perhaps you can feel her pain um, in fact, she changes her name from pleasantness to uh, Mara, which means bitterness. She is bitter at life. 
And if you have half the empathy my wife has, you're probably crying right now that she lost her two boys and her, and her husband. You can feel her pain. So what will she do? What's Naomi going to do? What, where is she going to go? What's she going to do? Well, it's clear that uh, by her next move, um, she's going to return to God. She's going to return to God. And I, I see this a lot as a pastor, that people come to church oftentimes when they hit rock bottom and they want to turn to God. And I love it that they do this. I love it that we are here, Life of Purpose Church, and I'm here, and, and leaders are here, and you are here to comfort those people oftentimes when they come to church and they hit rock bottom um, because God certainly wants to pick them up off the ground. But I just wish that they all would stay because I believe God has a bigger plan than just picking us up from rock bottom. I believe he wants to put us up on eagle's wings so we can fly with him. But oftentimes that's not the case. But turning to God is important and that's exactly what Naomi does. Naomi turns back to God. Uh, Moab is triggering nothing but bad memories for her, triggering death and loss. And she's going to move. She's going to move back to Bethlehem, back to her home, back to the promised land, back to where she belongs. And so she departs and she lets her daughters-in-law know, uh, Orpah and Ruth, that they should go back to Moab. They don't need to follow her anymore. They, They can go back and find a new husband and and so on. You can read this for yourself. It's just four chapters of Ruth. You can read it. Um, But uh, it turns out that Orpah, she has to, uh, she decides to go back. You know, she's got that network to run, probably some talk shows, some stuff. I'm sorry, that's, yeah, Orpah goes back. Ruth, though, on the other hand, she says no. She clings to Naomi. She clings to her. In fact, her words are profound in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And I believe her decision to cling to Naomi changes the world. I'm going to read to you Ruth 1, verse 16. Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people. This is the best part. Your God shall be my God. That's the words of Ruth. It changed the world. It showed her loyalty and her genuine love for Naomi, her mother-in-law. Now, when they return to Bethlehem, they are, not surprising, the talk of the town, right? I mean, imagine this. Naomi's coming back after living in Moab for all those years, and now she's back, and um, you know everybody's whispering around town, did you hear who's back? It's Naomi, but we're supposed to call her Mara. She's bitter, and she's got a foreigner named Ruth with her. Um, well, the talk uh, uh, dies down a little, if you will, and the two settle in to living in Bethlehem, and now they have to... Um, well, they got to get food, right? I mean, they gotta, they got to survive. And it just so happens it's the beginning of the barley um, harvest. And in that time, um, Leviticus 23 teaches us that God cares about the poor. In fact, 
the harvesters, the ones who owned the field, as they would harvest the grain, they were um, told by God to only go through the field once and leave behind, uh, which probably was about 20% of the harvest, leave that behind for the poor, like Naomi and Ruth. And these women would go into the fields and they would glean what was left over and that was charity. That was them taking care of, of, their, um, uh, of, of, of the poor and the poor being able to survive. But do you see here, um, when you read the story, that Naomi doesn't go pick. It's Ruth. Ruth makes the request to Naomi, please let me go do this. Because she gets it. I mean, think about it. Naomi was very well off. She had her own land. And now she's, she's coming back and, and, and it could be somewhat humiliating. Now she's poor. Now she's um, without men in her life. And so Naomi or Ruth says, let me do this. Let me go um, pick. So Ruth, um, chapter 2, verse 3. Ruth sets out to a field. A random field. Don't know where this field was in Bethlehem, but she just goes to a field that she finds a place to pick grain. Verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, she happened to come to the part of a field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to glean in this field. Out of all the fields in the breadbasket of Judah in Bethlehem, she just so happened to show up in Boaz's field. You see, I don't believe in it just so happened. This is what we call God's providence. This is God's providence. God's providence is different than a miracle that God does that changes the law of physics, if you will. This is God using natural events in time to produce supernatural results. That's what God's providence is. He takes natural events of, of, of our time and, and anything that we normally do, normal, right? We happen to do. And he produces supernatural results. And this is what he's doing. As I like to say, God has a plan. God has a plan. That's God's providence. He's got a plan. Romans 8, 28, we know that for um, all those who love God, they, everything works out. All things work out for his purpose. Amen to that? I know you know that in your life. And this is happening right now in the life of Ruth and Naomi. For Boaz, he heard the, the talk in the town. He knew Naomi's situation, and he heard about Ruth. He heard about her loyalty. And she shows up in his field, and he recognizes her. He comes to the field, in fact, um, to check on his workers. And um, there's an interesting relationship here that we see between Boaz and his employees. Now, I don't know um, what kind of relationship you have with your boss or your employees, but this is the conversation that takes place. It's in Ruth 2, verse 4. 
Boaz comes from Bethlehem. He says to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answer him, the Lord bless you. What a conversation. What a dialogue between employee and employer. Now, when I was in college, I had some summer jobs where I worked in the skilled trade. And um, the, the, the language that, that I heard in the skilled trade, um, I thought I knew how to swear until I started working with those guys. All right? Uh, they took it to a whole new level. I can't even imagine if I would have come to work one day and said, hey guys, the Lord be with you. <laughs> what kind of response I would have gotten if I said that. But nonetheless, Boaz has a wonderful relationship with his employees. He says, the Lord be with you. And they say, God bless you. The Lord bless you. Well, he notices Ruth gleaning in his field. And he tells his employees to look out for her and, and to bless her and to give her, because he knows um, what Naomi has been through. And in fact, he talks to Ruth and lets her know that I know who you are and what you're doing, and I appreciate it. Well, next we see this selflessness, if you will, of Naomi. Because, again, Boaz is not married. He is a um, relative of her husband, Elimelech. We'll see why that's important in a moment. She could have presented herself to him. In fact, they would have made a good pair. And they're contemporaries. They're the same age. Um, they're like maybe baby boomers, you know, second marriage type thing. And um, they could have had a blessed marriage. They could have lived um, happily ever after. But Naomi is selfless here. In fact, she says in verse 1 of chapter 3, Naomi says to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? She's thinking only of Ruth's happiness and joy, just like a mother does. And it's so admirable, her selflessness. All mothers who are just so unselfish, so wonderfully admirable. Well, Verse 2, she says, Boaz is our relative. Um, he's the one whose field you were gleaning in. And uh, tonight, the harvest was over. He's now in the next process. He's winnowing the barley um, at the threshing floor. So he's in the, um, uh, under the roof and he's doing the, what you do with the, the barley. It's like a pitchfork. You, you throw it up in the air and it separates the the grain from the, the chafe. So he's doing this, and um, Naomi says, Wash yourself, Ruth. Anoint yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. But wait until he's finished eating and drinking. Naomi is a very clever woman, you see here. She's telling Ruth, you need to look like a million bucks. You need to smell like a million bucks. I imagine Ruth walked from that house to um, where Boaz was, and jaws dropped. 
young men were drooling at this beautiful woman walking down the street, smelling. Uh, you, 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 you can't even imagine. And she goes um, and she waits until Boaz finishes eating and drinking. They say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Still true today. Right? And so Boaz is finished eating, he's happy, he, he lays down, and uh, he dozes off. And Ruth shows up, um, and, and she smells wonderful and looks wonderful. And then, this is Naomi's instructions. This is where it gets a little weird, unless you understand what's happening here. Verse 4 of chapter 3, Boaz lies down, and Ruth or Naomi says, Observe where he lies down and go and uncover his feet and lie down next to his feet and he'll tell you what to do. Now, this is kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, what's, why lay down at his feet? I mean, what's he going to tell her to do? Thank God this is rated G, folks. This is not going to end up in how most movies end up these days, right? There's no sex before marriage here. This is wholesome. In fact, um, Ruth, um, she is going to do something that you wouldn't expect. You wouldn't expect it at all. But she's going to pull a Sadie Hawkins. She's going to ask Boaz to marry him. Her. She's going to ask Boaz, let's get married. She's not down on one knee. She's down at his feet, <laughs> if you will. So Boaz sleeps, right? He's sleeping. And then he wakes up. And uh, it's midnight, verse 8, right? This man is startled. There's a woman at my feet. Who are you? He says. And she says, I'm Ruth. And here's the marriage proposal. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Wow, the marriage proposal. Will you redeem me? Because he has the right to do it. Verse 10, he says to her, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after the young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do whatever you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He says, yes. He says, I will redeem you. I will marry you. But there's a hurdle. Yep, there's one little hurdle. And that hurdle is there's another man that's closer uh, relative than Boaz. So, it's time to um, go to the town elders. This is the process um, that would take place back then. You would bring the elders of the town together with the two parties, almost like a court system, if you will. And there would uh, be, the case would be presented. And um, the way it worked back then is if you um, died, if, if a man died like Elimelech did, he left behind his land and his family. And the next closest relative would have the responsibility to redeem them. Redeem the land and redeem the family. 
And so, Boaz brings together the elders of the town, the closest redeemer, the man who is not even mentioned in Scripture, and he says to him, you can redeem the land of Elimelech. Now, you've got to believe that Naomi and Ruth are somewhere in earshot, and they're listening to what's happening. And this man says to uh, Boaz, yes, I will redeem this land because he knows it's just going to sweeten the pot. He's going to have more money, right? And I'm sure Naomi and Ruth, their hearts just sank when they heard this. Ruth's like, oh my gosh, I've got to marry this guy now? I don't even know this guy. Spent all that time in Boaz's field and I'm going to marry this guy? Who is this guy? Well, Boaz has got a little trump card he's going to play because he says to this man, well, okay that you want to redeem the land, but you must understand that because of Naomi, you must also marry Ruth and continue the legacy of Elimelech through Ruth. The man says, can't do it. Sorry. I'm already married. This will mess it up. I can't do that. I think there's a proverb that says, better to live on the the, the corner of the roof, uh, 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 rather than two arguing wives. It's not really a proverb, but it's close. Um, so he says, no, I can't. I cannot marry this woman. And so he says, you do it. And so Boaz says, yes, I will. And he does. He marries Ruth. And there is great joy in Bethlehem. So Ruth, Ruth 4 Verse 13, Boaz takes Ruth after they're married. She becomes his wife and he goes into her. The Lord gives her conception. She bears, bore a son. And the women in town said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may this boy be renowned in Israel. The son of Ruth and Boaz was very special. Verse 16, Naomi took this child, her grandchild, laid him on her lap, became her nurse, his nurse. The woman of the neighborhood gave him a name. They said, this is a son born to Naomi. They gave him this name Obed, which means serves, or the one who serves. Here's what's significant about Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. That's right. Just think about this. Obed grew up in Bethlehem with his mom and his dad, Ruth and Boaz. Obed then had got married, and he had a boy. His name was Jesse, and Jesse grew up in Bethlehem. And then Jesse got married, and he had a son. He had lots of them, but he had a son named David. And David grew up in Bethlehem, a little shepherd boy. And because David grew up in Bethlehem, I take you to Luke chapter 2, in verse 4, Joseph went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. Because of Ruth, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. 
got goosebumps. It's just so amazing, the story of Ruth. And if you have eyes to see, you will know and see that Boaz was a type of Jesus, for Boaz redeemed Ruth, and Jesus redeems you. What a wonderful story. Jesus redeems you from your sin. The greatest story of all time. He rescues you from a poor life and he gives you an abundant life. If you think about it, Jesus is your closest relative. He came from Adam and he came from the Holy Spirit. You came from Adam. You were made in the image of God. This is our closest relative, Jesus being fully human and yet fully God. And I mentioned at the beginning that a mother's greatest desire is for her children to be happy. Well, I tell you, my wife makes our kids happy all the time by making chocolate chip pancakes, typically once a week, or taking them for ice cream. They're happy. She buys them the perfect presents. They're happy, but those things don't last. They need to be repeated. What's the one thing that brings lasting joy? It only needs to happen once, and that is redemption. God redeeming you. And that's what mothers want. They want their children to have a lasting joy when they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that I know many moms in this church that are still praying for their children to know Jesus, to be redeemed by God. And I have been praying right along with you, and I will keep praying. You keep praying, moms, for those children, for your children to know the love of our God, to know the grace of of Jesus Christ, to know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know the greatest present that you could give your mother on Mother's Day, it would be to follow Jesus, to surrender your life to the Lord. And that's what I'm asking you to do if you've never done that before. You may not understand it all, you may never have even read the Bible, But if there is something going on in your heart right now, if there is some kind of emotion that is stirring up, I don't suggest you push it aside, suppress it. I say you let it all out and I say that you talk to God and you ask him to forgive you for your sins. You know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody is. We all fall short of the glory of God. But I'm telling you that if you would just surrender your life, if you would ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins because he died on the cross so that you could have forgiveness, if you would just do that and turn to God, stop living this cycle over and over of sin and suffering and just pray to God and he will bring you salvation. For all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray that you'll do that for your mother. I pray that you'll do that for yourself so you will know what a wonderful life it is to live for God on purpose. May you be blessed today. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Take care and I'll see you soon.